This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. When you're in a chronic stress situation, you're not rebuilding your body. You're just breaking things down. It actually becomes like a pro-aging situation. And it's the antithesis of trying to be healthy and to have longevity is to live in a state of chronic stress. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. We call it LAMA for short. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, to what extent is stress connected to health span or lifespan? Indeed, what is stress? We probably all have our own ideas about what constitutes stress and whether it has a positive or negative impact on our daily lives or long-term health. Well, I'm joined by Dr. Felice Gersh, a regular contributor to the Lama podcast. Felice is a gynecologist, practices functional medicine in Irvine, California, and is a prolific writer and speaker on matters of health and lifestyle. Felice, great to see you again. I'm happy to be back. And you're not stressed today, hopefully. Well, just a little. We all get stressed, don't we? We do. It's, it's part, part of life. We're both we were going to say, say that. <laughs> exactly. Question is, how do we deal with it? Well... Our bodies are amazing, amazing structures, and they were designed to survive, and that's why humans are still here on Earth. We are amazing and we're resilient, but we were not designed for the chronic stress that so many people now experience. So stress is the body's response to anything that is causing an instantaneous threat to the body. Okay, so it could be anything. It could be emotions, and of course, that's a very big thing. It could be environmental toxins. It could be hormonal imbalances. It could be an infection. And of course, it was primarily designed to deal with lack of food and infections and trying to survive if you're being attacked, say, if you have to run, if you have to protect yourself. That's what we really evolved for, stress that was a threat to our existence. But now threats are things like we can't make a deadline or something like that, and, and we, we've not really evolved very well to deal with that kind of stress. Well, it's interesting. I jotted down a few key words that, uh, to me, are an indicator of stress. Overwork, lack of work for some people, the news, the headlines, pain, emotional trauma, ambition, maybe the lack of ambition, underachievement, perhaps overachievement causes stress as well. When is stress at its most positive, do you think? Well, a little bit of stress can actually be dramatically beneficial to the body. So one of the ones that's always referred to is exercise. So for example, if you're exercising, you're actually stressing your body. Look what you're doing to your muscles, right? They're working really hard. You're creating lactic acid. So stress is very key to a lot of the benefits that come from exercise. So when you exercise, you actually then cause cells to rejuvenate. You you get the same benefits, for example, that are comparable to fasting. Now, fasting is another stress. So not eating is a stress. That is actually beneficial. So there are only a few stressors that actually, say, cause cells to rejuvenate and to actually be beneficial to the body. Most stress in the body is 
in terms of ancient times, wasn't really beneficial. It just it wasn't really harmful because it was for a short period of time. But stress, only a little bit of stress is really beneficial. We don't really want to do too much stressing. So basically, for stress that is good, I would say it would be primarily a little bit of fasting and exercising. Interesting that you, you raise those issues. I think I heard once that eating a colorful meal, a colorful vegetables, red tomatoes and yellow peppers, green peppers, and having an assortment of food can, to some extent, stress your system because it's actually hard work to process that food and that the body, to some extent, thrives on that. Everything that is a little bit of a challenge to the body, the body can overcome. And so when you have to use your digestive juices and you have to use um, you know, your, all of your intestinal functions and so on, that is a stress. I mean, the body just doing its own functions is something of a stress. You're creating metabolic waste, you have to deal with it. So just being alive and all the functions of being alive is kind of a stress. But so you can look at stress in a very broad sense like that. And so the body is designed to deal with those kinds of stresses very, very well. But that's not the stresses that are killing us. Right, exactly. And I want to talk in much more detail about those those negative stresses, the stresses that we don't want. Another positive stress that uh, I've always been aware of is, is being nervous. Let's say you've got the job interview, you've got an important day, something is coming up that is, is crucial to you, and you just feel legit and you feel nervous. But if you weren't so nervous, it's always been my theory that you wouldn't actually perform as well. Walking on stage, being on television, Recording a podcast, whatever makes you a little bit nervous before you do it, you actually perform a little bit better because of that. Yes, Peter, I look at that as part of the stress response, part of our survival mechanism. So where does that really come from? It's not really about performing on a stage or you know delivering a report or something of that sort. It's about finding food. It's about not being attacked. So it's about being aware, being sharp, being smart. So the body gets you smarter and sharper so that you can survive. So if you're going to be attacked, then the body wants to, the body does everything it can to survive. So it has to create this kind of mechanism to respond to a stress. So in our current world, we're we're not likely to be attacked, hopefully, by a, a wild boar or the neighboring tribe, although you never know nowadays, you know. But basically, you know, we can utilize the innate mechanisms of our body that were designed for survival to help us to perform better. I haven't seen many wild boars in my streets uh, <laughs> recently, so hopefully that's one we can avoid. Let's talk then about uh, a long list of, of potential stresses. Overwork, I think, is a, a big one for a lot of people. Perhaps having to do two or three jobs in the modern world that we live in can put a tremendous amount of, of stress on people because it's about money, it's about feeding the children, it's about just everyday survival. But the other stresses are the physical stresses, of course, and lack of sleep that comes with, with doing too much. Combined, that's a tremendous amount of stress on the body, isn't it? It is. And the body has one stress response. So you mentioned a lot of these really very relevant problems that people face, lack of sleep, overwork, all these things. The body only has one stress response. So whatever the stress it does what it can to survive. 
And all of those mechanisms are great when they're acute and very short-lived. But when it becomes a chronic, ongoing situation, it really wears the body down. Because you're in a state where you're either growing and building or you're breaking down. And when you're in the stress state, you are breaking down. You're breaking down your bones and your muscles, and you're mobilizing for survival because What allowed Homo sapiens to not become extinct is our incredible ability to survive famines, especially. And so every stress response, whatever it's to, including like overwork or worry, whatever it is, our bodies react as if we're facing a famine. So what happens is we have high levels of cortisol produced. Our blood vessels constrict so that if we're attacked, we have a a better ability to maintain our blood pressure. We become more hypercoagulable, so we, we can clot our blood more readily, so that if we get cut, we'll clot so we won't bleed to death. The problem is, what happens when over the long haul, we have constricted arteries, we have high blood pressure, we're hypercoagulable, so we can make blood clots more readily. We have, we're breaking down fat, so our our body, but not not using them for energy, just breaking them down, it circulates in our body. And then what happens is we break down peripherals fat, like fat in our legs or in our butt areas and so on. And then when it doesn't get burnt, because we're not really fighting a battle, we're not doing anything. We're just sitting there worrying. And so it redeposits in our belly and we get visceral fat, which is inflammatory fat. So we set the stage for many, many metabolic dysfunctions, like our insulin levels go up because we become more resistant to the action of insulin because the body is trying to put sugar into our bloodstream to feed our brain for the battle or for whatever's to come so that we're more alert and we can deal with it. So all the mechanisms that are for survival in an acute stress situation are killing us in the long haul when this becomes a chronic ongoing sequence of events. For a lot of people, this is a a mental state, a mental issue, but actually it's a physical one. That's absolutely true. Stress can kill you, and it's not because it's happening in terms of some amorphous metabolic emotional state. There are physical things happening. You know, you're getting high blood pressure, you're getting high cholesterol, you're getting um, high sugar, you're the organs that are so critical to life in the long haul, but not necessarily in that immediate moment when you're trying to fight a battle or you're trying to survive, like the liver, like the intestinal tract, the kidneys. What happens when you have a stress situation is the blood flow to those organs diminishes in exchange for trying to keep blood flow going to what at that moment would be the vital organs like your brain and your heart. But over the long haul, you're then altering the gut function, you're altering your liver, you're altering your kidneys, and that changes everything. You suddenly have leaky gut, and that's how emotions can cause leaky gut. You can have liver dysfunction, you can get fatty liver, you can then have uncontrolled production of sugar from your liver, and all of this can stem from just having too much stress, emotional stress. What is leaky gut? So I'm so glad you asked because leaky gut is really a sort of friendly term for impaired intestinal barrier function. So all of our intestines <laughs> no, So all of our intestines are lined by a single layer of cells and they're close together. We call them tight junctions. But when you have 
an altered state in the gut and the microbiome, the bacteria that live inside of our intestines become abnormal because of the change in blood flow, the altered environment that will occur when you have a stress situation. You then have different bacteria and they don't protect the lining. They don't, pro- they don't produce this mucus coating that we're supposed to have. And the cells then can separate. And as well, the microbiome, the bacteria, they can change and they can become hostile and produce what are called lipopolysaccharides. Another name for that is endotoxin, Mm. toxins from within ourselves that can actually pass through the now porous kind of lining that's been created and get into our body proper. And lining our intestinal tract is the bulk of our immune system. And the immune system is there to protect us. And when these toxins come in, of course, it then activates our immune system. So people who are in a chronic stress situation end up with a hypersensitive immune system. That's actually for our protection in the short run, right? Because if you get cut, you don't want to get an infection. So your immune system becomes hyperactive. But when you have a chronically hyperactive immune system, that is very bad. You become chronically inflamed. You have like sort of weapons of mass destruction, these immune cells that are designed to protect us from bacterial invasion, but they actually create our own internal state of inflammation, which is not fighting any infection. It's actually just harming us. Which explains beautifully why people get sick when they are stressed. They don't look good. They feel bad, as opposed to maybe someone coming back from vacation And they have that healthy glow about them because I think to some extent, I mean, yes, they might have been sitting in the sun, but they don't have the the stress of everyday life. Absolutely, because when you're in a chronic stress situation, you're not rebuilding your body. You're just breaking things down. It actually becomes like a pro-aging situation. And it's the antithesis of trying to be healthy and to have longevity is to live in a state of chronic stress. Every system in your body is malfunctioning to some degree. It it just can't maintain that kind of a state. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. So another thing I mentioned in my list of potential stress, uh, stressful situations is news. What's going on around us that we can't control, but we hear about every day. And I think times have never been as bad as current times for hearing stressful news, whether it's here in the United States or indeed around the world. We're going through some very difficult times And I know of people who purposefully will not watch the news in in the evening, whereas they might traditionally have watched the evening news, and and try to avoid it. Is that a good thing to do? Well, I would like to first say that for children, that probably really is, because we know that children who are exposed to the news that's really very unpleasant, they take it as if it's really happening right there in their own lives, and it can actually modify how their genes are functioning, and we call that epigenetic changes, and it can create actually post-traumatic stress disorder just from watching the news, especially for young children. 
So we don't want to expose little children to that kind of a thing. Now, adults are very sensitive too, So, we, but we do want to know what's going on in the world. So it's really part of being resilient. And I do think that watching the news and seeing very unpleasant stories and then trying to go right to sleep is really probably not the best thing to do. I think everyone should try to create a barrier. From We have to know what's going on in the world, but we have to create our own barriers. And we have to create, I call it like our own little force field to help protect us from these kinds of things that are happening. So we have to create ways to deal with stress. So we can't ignore stress. We can't avoid stress. It's going to be there. We, we can't move to another planet and we can't avoid the fact um, that things are happening in this world of ours. So we have to be resilient. We have to come up with ways to deal with it because I think we do have to see what the news is. I think we do have to know what's happening as adults, but we have to then have our own toolboxes for dealing with the stress that it creates. But the availability of news these days, it is so easy. Our devices, social media, news in whatever format is being thrown at us, we'll feel bombarded, I think, sometimes just by the fact that you look at your phone for another reason, but you see a headline that you might not want to see and that you thought you wouldn't see because you haven't got the TV on, but it's there and it sort of permeates our lives all the time. There is action we can take, isn't there, to control that? There is. Well, number one, I think we all should really separate from all of our devices for um, a, a time of the day. We really have to disconnect. It's, we have to um, get back into relating to people. We know that personal relationships are amazing for reducing stress. We have to have activities that are meaningful. We can't just be bombarded constantly by bad news. And we have to find our own path. I mean, for myself, I love guided imagery. There's so many tools. We, know how, we have to know how to breathe. Breathing is very important. And just by controlling our breath, of course, the yogis figured this out long ago, but just by controlling how we breathe, we can actually change our stress response. So our bodies are programmed a certain way, but we have amazing brains. And we can actually override a lot of this, but we have to really learn. We have to get the tools to do this. We can actually modify our stress response and you know, like I said, like the yogis have done this. We know people can change their pulse, where they can change their blood pressures, right? And there are other things that can be accessed. For example, massage therapy and acupuncture. We have, there's just a whole array of tools, and we have to find what works for us because we are not going to escape this, Peter. You know, our lives are filled with news and stresses, so we have to accept that. And we have to compartmentalize it in some fashion and be able to put it away for a while and then help our bodies to recover from it. You mentioned guided imagery. Can you just elaborate a little bit more about what you mean? Yes, it's my personal favorite because it takes no training and no effort to do it. Someone who is talented, and we can, you can get these things online and, and from stores and so forth. So someone who is trained and talented um, has a beautiful voice is going to take you on a mind trip. It's a very beautiful mind trip where you use your own imagination. And often we don't use our imaginations enough, and it's a wonderful place to go. And there'll be lovely music playing, and it'll take you on a trip where you're to imagine a, like a beautiful, safe place. It could be real, someplace you've been in your childhood or on a vacation, or it could be something you've seen in a painting or just purely fantasy that you've created, a beautiful place where you feel safe and calm, and that's where you go. 
and you can picture yourself there being calm and relaxed and happy. And then the voice will tell you to do other things, depending on the kind of guided imagery you're trying to buy and, and use. So it could be to help you with sleep. It could be to help you fight cancer. It could be purely for stress. So there are many, many different types of journeys you can take accessing the amazing power of your brain to control your immune system, to control all of these different functions in the body, to calm yourself, to put you into a state where you don't have so much upregulation of a portion of what we call the autonomic nervous system, which controls all of these autonomic or automatic functions of the body that we don't think about, like our blood pressure, our pulse, and our temperature and such. And the portion of the autonomic nervous system that is activated when you have a lot of stress is called the sympathetic nervous system. And the portion of the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, that's about calming and about relaxation is called the parasympathetic nervous system. And through training, through guided imagery, which I love and there's other ways, you can actually downregulate the sympathetic nervous system and upregulate the parasympathetic nervous system. So all of the stress response where you're getting rapid heart rate and rapid breathing and you're getting clammy and your blood vessels are constricting, all of that can be quieted down. And then the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you to have more calmness and peace and slower breathing and just your pulse goes down, your heart beats more regularly and quietly and so on. That can all be controlled through your brain and guided imagery can actually take you there. And it's interesting that the effects of these... um techniques are so tangible that they could help to fight cancer or certainly help you perhaps as you're having treatment for cancer? Oh, in both ways, because you can actually mobilize your immune system to actually help fight. And we have a lot of new cancer treatments that are part of upregulating the immune system. That's like the whole new world of cancer is modulating the immune system. You have that power in your brain. Now, the best way to do it is, of course, before you get any cancer. So these are the types of things that you can do to help lower your risk of getting cancer. But even if you have, you can help to control it. And in terms of if you're having any kind of treatment, radiation treatment or chemotherapy, you can dramatically reduce the side effects in terms of you know the damage that it does and the stress that it creates on your body through these different techniques like guided imagery. I'm curious from your perspective, you, you deal with a lot of people, a lot, a lot of patients, and the advice that you give on this subject is certainly dealing with stress. I think a lot of people will take that advice, they will listen, but then not act on it because they still become overwhelmed by everyday life and perhaps find themselves in new stressful situations, knowing that they're doing things wrong, yet they still continue to do them. There's a sort of vicious circle, isn't there? And uh, for all, we we sometimes know the answers. We don't do the things that will help ourselves. Oh, that's so common, isn't it? That knowing and doing are two separate things. So I try to give people very simple things that they can start with. So I teach everyone how to breathe. It's very simple. You just breathe in to account of four through your nose, really deep, down into your belly. Hold that breath in there to another count of eight. So you breathe in for four seconds through your nose, then hold it for seven or eight seconds. Then through your mouth, slowly with your lips kind of pursed, blow out very slowly for eight seconds. And try to do that about five times in a row. 
and you'll feel your whole body just naturally relaxing. It's it's an automatic function of the body. Well, you're, you're, you're smiling because you could see me doing it as, as you were speaking. I know. And be, you said it before I could say it, but that was exactly what happened. I felt my entire body just sort of deflate. It kind of felt nice. Now, obviously, you would do this presumably when you're sitting quietly somewhere, not in a conversation, but <laughs> I, I still felt what you described, which is and interesting. It is. It's, the body is automatically going to do that. So we are programmed in certain ways, so we have to access the tools that we have to easily help people to, to deal with their stress. So just using the breath is the best way to start. And then the other is to just... Now, of course, not while they're driving. They should never do that kind of breathing while they're driving either. But if they do guided imagery, even if they can't do it all the time, once they've done it enough times, they can picture that beautiful place that I said, you know, the I have it in my head. I know exactly where it is. It was a place in my backyard when I was a kid under a big tree that had beautiful pink flowers that looked like dancing ballerinas. And I could lie on the grass and look up at the, the sky and see the clouds and they would, you know, be moving and I could see shapes in them. So I can go there in a split second. And if you just, if I just close my eyes and you just go there, even for five seconds, 10 seconds, it can just give you that calming stress reduction technique and it will your whole body will feel calmer. So people can do this. They don't need to spend hours and hours a day trying to do stress reduction. Even a few minutes here and there can help. And then ultimately, when it becomes clear that they feel better, then they, maybe they'll be more motivated to put a little bit more effort into it. This has been a great conversation. I'm going to go away and imagine a beautiful place and think of some of this extremely valuable advice. Felice, thank you very much indeed. It was my pleasure, Peter. Dr. Felice Gersh is the founder and medical director of the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine here in California. And finally, a reminder that there are several ways to listen to us. You can visit the Live Long and Master Aging website for all of the options. We're at LamaPodcast.com, L-L-A-M-A-Podcast.com. The site is evolving. There's new information added there every week. And there's a searchable index of all of our episodes. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.